Chapter Three. At last, the dishes done and put away, and the fire banked up. Gom climbed the second stair, Haga going before him, carrying a lamp. At the sight of her back outlined against the lantern's glow, Gom remembered the false Haga under Great Krug, evil image conjured up by Katak. When Gom had run to that one, she had raised the lamp to ward him off. You think your mother would treat you thus? Ganache had told him. Young one, just you wait. When at last you meet with Haga, you will know the difference. Haga's light going before him, Gom topped the stair, and stepped out. Into his mother's workshop at last. A long, low cavern. It curved off into darkness, running, so Haga said, almost the length of the hollow cliff. Gom advanced slowly in her wake, his eyes everywhere. High stone benches stood about haphazardly, stacked with sealed glass jars. And dishes and boxes of all sizes, iron-bound, some padlocked. From whom? Here and there lay heaps of gemstones and large lumps of rock like coal, shot with glowing golden veins. Along the wall lay parchment scrolls and piles of other objects that Gom had never seen. Not on Windy Mountain, not in Horton Mudge's house, not in any place. But he'd heard speak of them, and he knew what they were. He stopped, picked one up, almost dropped its unexpected weight. It's a book. I gum, Haga said. Go on, open it. The covers were of wood, leather-bound, and hinged in brass. Gom lifted back the top cover, slowly turned the parchment leaves, while Haga held up the lamp for him to see. The pages were closely worked in neat, fine script. Writing. Gom eyed the markings. Intently, he wanted so badly to know, to understand the meaning of those spidery lines. Did you do this, mother? I, Haga said. Wizards compile their own books. They make their own magic, you see, and store the secrets in those parchment pages. When you're a wizard, you'll do the same. He hung his head. I cannot read or write. Haga smiled. Not yet, maybe, but I'm sure you'll be doing both with ease before the year's end, and then you'll wish you did not, for I'll have you reading these books every last one. He pointed to the top of the first page. What does that say? 
Harger set down the lamp on a nearby small wooden chest of drawers carved with leaves and fruit and moons and stars, and leaned over. It says, Compendium of Cardinal Remedies and Transformations. What's that? A collection of spells for changing one thing into another. In it, I've listed which stones or leaves or roots I need for which bell, together with their qualities and the most effective admixtures for different cases. Spells. Gom closed the book and replaced it carefully on the pile. Compendium? Admixtures? It all sounded very complicated. The books were all different colours. Wine red and green and brown. He noticed farther down the wall several stacks of identically bound volumes in blue, some of them quite dusty and dark with age. What are those? My chronicles. Chronicles? The record, if you like, of my life experience from the time I became a wizard. Gom picked up one of the volumes. Are we in your chronicles? His father, his brothers and sisters, all the folk on Windy Mountain? Oh, yes, Gom, of course. Gom opened the book he was holding. In here? Hager inspected the gilded symbols embossed on the cover's spine. No. She looked along the wall. I can't see those particular volumes offhand. We'll look later, maybe, and read some. She smiled at him. We have plenty of time now, you and I. She took up the lamp to move on. But Gom, unwilling to give up the book, turned the pages over. Yellowed leaves covered in the same close, neat hand. He couldn't wait another minute. Read me some now. Hager sighed. Pick a page, any page. Gom shut the heavy book, then let it fall open in his open palms. Here, he said. Hager leaned over, then drew in her breath sharply, staring down at the open page. Of all the things! Why, what is it, Mother? She looked shaken. Had he done something wrong? To his astonishment, she laughed. You cannot read. And yet you have found my very first mention of you. Here, give it here. She took the heavy book from him, but did not begin to read at once. For a long minute, she scanned the page, her smile fading. When she did speak, 
Her voice was low and serious. I only can defend Ulm from destruction, and yet this charge is too great for me alone. But to whom can I turn? Only to Lacin, and he is old. I have been thinking. I myself could have a child, a special child, as I would bear by the right man. A child to share this task, so that, should I come to grief, Alm will not be left totally without defence. Yes, a secret child left to grow under the protection and influence of gentle father and native soil, and of my own precious magic runestone. A child whose gifts the rune shall enhance, and whose inner senses it shall most finely attune. And under the rune's enchantment, the child shall grow slowly and slowly, like heart of oak, not counting the years as others. A risk to leave this store of much of my greatest magic with one so young and unaware, but that. I must take. Then, when the time is right, I'll test the child's mettle, demanding the return of my stone. If all goes well, and the child succeeds in bringing me my rune, then I shall teach that child all I know. Sharing all my magic treasures for the sake of Alm. Her voice broke. She looked up, her eyes bright. And here you are, my little tool to save the world. Tested, tempered, proven by the water and the fire. Her smile twisted. Oh God! She set down the chronicle, and folded him to her, rocking him to and fro. Sig had been right. Ganache had spoken true. Just as Gom had known in his better moments. Should I come to grief, I will not be left. Totally without defence. Smitten by the weight of those words, Gom put his arms about his mother's middle and held on. What does it mean? He mumbled. But Haga did not answer him. Presently, she stood him out at arm's length. We must move along. Time is passing," she said, 
and taking up the lamp now, she made to go down the chamber. Beside the lamp stood a large blue globe on a dull brass spindle. Gom reached out, touched it, recoiled as the ball rolled under his palm. Had he broken it? What is it? This! Harga set it spinning faster. It's Aum! Aum? Aum? Gom drew out Carrick's map, spread it beside the globe. Flat brown parchment and round blue globe looked nothing like. Harga was staring fixedly at the spinning thing, gone off into her own thought. Only as it slowed did she answer him. They say arms flat. It's not. It's round and bigger than your tinker nose. That map covers less than one-fourth this globe. See? Harga stopped the spinning sphere, then rolled it slowly until a large green-brown patch on the upper hemisphere came into view. Gom looked keenly from map to sphere, comparing. The patch was something like the arm of Carrick's map but much longer from north to south. And it was coloured various greens and browns, with stretches of white to the north in the far fjords, red dots and yellow patches down in the southwest. The rest of the globe was blue. The white is snow, Harga said. The red Volcano and thermal land. See, here by the dread shore. She drew her finger along the southwestern edge of the continent. Volcano? Thermal? Gom had never heard of either word. Volcanoes are mountains of fire. When that fire boils close to the surface, you get thermal land. Harga's eyes gleamed. I've seen places where boiling water shoots plumes of steam high into the air. Those plumes are called geysers, and great valleys of boiling mud, the red, she tapped the globe, marks the volcanoes. The yellow, the mud. The blue, of course, is ocean, which, as you can clearly see, she turned the globe on, covers most of Alm. Hager looked up. There are islands in the southern hemisphere. But they're small and scattered, and since I don't know exactly where they lie, I haven't marked them in. Islands? Any people? A few, so the gulls tell me. But those folk never travel far from land. The oceans are vast and dangerous. And those who've set out from our shores in big boats 
have either never gotten far or failed to return. Do others know all this beside you? A few other wizards know a little, and little it is. They lacking good gull gossip. Gom looked from globe to map, still comparing. On Carrick's map, the southern shore, a smooth, unbroken line with no sign of dreadshore to the west, or the volcanoes that Harger had spoken of. No tinker or peddler goes that far south. There is no reason, for few men live that way, Harger said. It's too hot down there, too uncomfortable and unhealthy for most folk, and dangerous. She tapped the bright red dots on her globe. Do you go down there, Mother? Gom asked. Harger went down the chamber a little way, fetched back bits of yellow powdery rock, some of them crumbling in her hand. I go for these. With them, I make much powerful magic. When my store is used up, I shall fetch more. Gom eyed the rocks with interest. May I go with you? Harger smiled. I hope so. Doesn't anyone at all live down there? Harger touched a narrow peninsula to the far west, where lay clustered the greatest concentration of red dots. Here, west of the dread shore, you'll find a strange folk. That's the hottest region of all. Throughout their land are geysers, and pools they boil potatoes in. It's a terrible place for us cool climate people. The air peels the skin off your face, and it stinks of rotten eggs, the sulfur you see. She held the stones under his nose. Gorm snapped his head back in distaste. Recognizing the smell at once. Sulphur. It stank of ganache on the point of becoming Mangatla Axai. Would that be what dragon smells of? Aye. Harger shot him a quick look. Of course, you know. The air down there is full of it. You can't escape it. Do you have dealings with that folk? Not as a wizard. They have their own, which is unusual, for the wizards of the guild belong to no one, but go wherever they are called. Anyhow, these folk have what they call the Onda. More than a wizard, he is also their king. Because of this, they choose him in a most remarkable way. Oh? Hager set the stones down. They have a volcanic bridge, no wider than your foot, arcing like a rainbow high over boiling mud. When the old Onder dies, his would-be successor must walk that bridge to the other side. 
Doesn't sound so bad. Gom had trodden stone bridges narrow as that many times under Windy Mountain, over dizzy crevasses, and in pitch darkness. Oh, Hager pursed her mouth. I'm sure you'd have no trouble climbing underground, Gom, or even up a cliff. But you might find taking such an airy walk another matter. As for those folk, few elect to try, and fewer succeed. Imagine yourself inching your way up into the sky over choking fumes with nothing to hold on to and no room to turn back if you should wobble or want to change your mind. They sound a hard, cruel folk. Perhaps. But walking that bridge tests the candidate's will to rule the self. That they demand above all, of one who would wield great power over them for life. To that one only will they entrust the fate of the tribe. I see. I think, Gom said slowly. Hadn't Haga herself tested him, her own son, thus, in having him bring her the rune? That was for a purpose a very important one, to do with saving all no less. Curbing his impatience to know more, he turned his eye farther north and eastward to the high Varg, that vast plain over which the Solahin hunted wild horse endlessly. Storm Fleet's birthplace, to which the Sito might never safely return. On Carrick's map, there was no sea to the east, the high Varg being, so the Tinker had said, the eastern end of the world. Curiously, Gom turned the globe to compare, and looked up puzzled. No coastline here either. The land merged with sea, as though wet colours had run. Mother? Neither I, nor Gull, nor any living creature on Elm has clearly seen the land beyond the Varg. There is more there, then. Hager pulled her shawl about her and firmly took up the lamp. I don't know about you, she said, but I'm cold standing here. Let's go and light the stove. She drew him to the far end of the chamber, where two armchairs stood side by side, with a little table in between. In front of them was a dusty stove, embossed with clustered grapes and vine leaves, and capped with a chimney running up into the vaulted roof. She sat gone down in one of the armchairs. Then, taking out a flint, she struck the tinder already laid in the stove, and bright blue flames shot up the flue. Replacing the stove lid, she threw herself into the other armchair, and held out her hands to warm. Gom watched her movements closely. Harga had suddenly gone like Cessary, 
avoiding his last question. He was sure of it. He decided to press her again. How can you know there's more land beyond the bog if no one has seen it? I've seen something of what lies there. Not a lot, but some. Why only some? Why hasn't anyone else? Surely if you walked east... Haga smiled. Walk all you like. You'd only get lost in the mist. What mist? The magic mist the Spinratha use to hide their presence there. She turned toward him. I've been asked to say nothing of them until after you have met with one. The backs of Gom's hands tingled. When? This very night. Here? We go there. Beyond the far? More magic. Another wonderful whirlwind, like the one that had plucked him from that plane and set him down in the Dunderboss? In a manner of speaking. At her solemn face, his excitement turned flat. It's to do with Katak. Partly. Katak and the Spinrather are of the same place. He's one of them? Haga looked annoyed. Gone. Bears and foxes live on Ulm, but that doesn't make you one. Gom looked down, abashed for a moment. Then he rallied. How could they and Katak live so long on Ulm without folk knowing? Who said they did? Gom gazed at her blankly. They don't dwell east of the Varg, she went on. Nor on Alm at all. His flesh pricking, Gom glanced down the room, to the globe's solid bulk, to its shadow wavering on the wall. Where then? The spin rather live among the stars. A curl shifted, collapsed, jumping him in his skin. Haga leapt up. Dear, dear, it's almost time and we're not ready. She produced a small crystal sphere, big as Gom's fist, and set it on the table. When that flashes, we go, she said. This is magic. Indeed, Haga said, her dark eyes gleaming. How do we get there? Haga fixed her eyes on the crystal globe. We go, but we don't go, in a manner of speaking. How, in a manner of speaking? We travel in mind only, but being there will seem so real that you'll doubt my word. Yet all the time our bodies will be here before the stove. Gom's face cleared. He understood now. Like in a waking dream. Haga nodded vigorously. Yes, only much more so. You see? There came a brilliant flash 
making Gom blink. Then the globe went dark again. It's time, Hargis said. Take my hand. Even as she said that, the sphere began to glow brighter and brighter. Haga placed her free hand over the brightness, and in that same instant, Gon felt a sort of shimmering through his whole body. Don't be afraid, Haga said. You'll come to no harm, I promise. I'm not afraid, he wanted to say, but just then, the crystal flared up a second time, and he and Haga and everything vanished in a shower of golden sparks. Thank you.